Good noon hour, everybody. Still morning for a little bit here yet, for a few minutes. Um, just a few things before we begin. I've been really blessed by coming and sharing this American Bible prophecy with you. It's been a blast, and uh, we've had a lot of fun with it, but more than just fun, I hope that you've gotten closer to your Savior through it as well. Um, I believe that there are some people that are coming to these meetings that are having their lives changed. You know, every time that I present one of these meetings, I learn something new, and it's just a, a blessing. You know, we, have, we serve a living God, and, a, and we read a living book, don't we? And we can read the Word of God over and over and over again, but we're always going to find something different. Um, just a little disclaimer today, we're going to do something a little bit different. Um, this is the tenth and final part in our series on the Ten Commandments. We've gone through um, all ten of them already, and today we're going to be dealing with the New Covenant. Um, have you, how many of you heard of the New Covenant before? You know, a lot of Christians today will say that since there's a New Covenant, the Ten Commandments, the Old Covenant don't matter, right? So we'll be talking a little bit about that today. But as I was writing this sermon, normally when I preach, and I, I, I have not preached longer than about 40 minutes um, in my few months that I've been here. You know what's going on nine months now, by the way? Amen to that. Amen. I'm so excited to be here. But um, I tend not to go beyond 40 minutes. 35 is normally where I am. And it's um, normally about two pages of notes that I work off of for those 40 minutes. But as I wrote this message, um, we had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven pages of notes. And that's okay. And I thought I might be able to break it up into two, but... I feel like this message should be preached today in its entirety. And I'm I'm tempted to apologize, but I'm not going to because it's the Sabbath day, amen? Amen. And it's time to read the Word of God. Um, I thought it was going to take longer. I just preached it in big rapids. It took me um, about 45 minutes or so. So it's not too much longer, but um, today we're going to hear from the Word of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Before we begin, of course, let's have a word of prayer. Father, Lord, we thank you that you are our God and that you have called us to be your people. Today, Lord, as we listen to this message, and I believe it's a message for today and it's important, it's present truth, Father, I ask that these words would not come from me but from on high. But as these words come from your throne and from the word of God, that they would not be jaded by a man because, Father, I'm a, I'm a mere man. But, Father, humble my heart, humble our hearts here today, that when we read your word and when we listen to you, Father, that we would be changed. We pray in your precious name. Amen. It had been given to Adam. It had been given to Eve. And Adam and Eve had been given this precious promise. They were given the commandments of God. And after Adam and Eve had been given the commandments of God, they passed it down to their son, Seth. And Seth knew the commandments of God. And Seth passed it down to his sons. You know, Adam lived quite some time. And so for hundreds of years, the people could come and they could talk and they could sit on grandfather Adam's knees. And Adam can tell them everything that the Lord had said. Got to tell them about the Garden of Eden, about how sin came in the first time and how he was so sorry about that. And as year after year passed on, the Ten Commandments, the promises of God that a soon coming Savior would come to save them from the sin of this world was passed on from generation to generation. And everybody knew the law of God. But there came a point in history, a point in time 
that these people of Jacob, the people of Israel, or what later would be known as Jews, that they forgot what God had told them. They forgot the law of God. They forgot the commandments of God, and they may have even forgotten that a Savior was going to come to cleanse them from all sin. What great event caused them to forget all of this? Well, it didn't happen all at once. Their brains just weren't erased in a day. But over time, as the the people of Jacob, as they moved into Egypt, and as they moved into Egypt, they began to duplicate, didn't they? There was a lot of Israelites that were in this, in this country of Egypt. And as the Pharaoh of Egypt looked at the Israelites, he was scared. Remember this? He was scared that all these Israelites were in Egypt because they were growing. They thought they might overthrow them. And so the king of, 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 of Egypt, or the Pharaoh, decided to put the people of Israel where? Into slavery. And not only were the people of Israel into slavery, but they started to worship what? Were they worshiping the God of Jehovah? They're worshiping false gods and pagan idols. And throughout generations of the slavery that the Israelites were going through, they slowly began to forget the laws of God. But more importantly than just forgetting the laws of God, they began to forget about God himself. He was completely forgotten. And finally, the exodus took place. The Israelites were taken out. Exodus just means exit, right? They exited Egypt. And as they exited Egypt, they were marched through the Red Sea. And God is finally so excited to talk with his people again. And as he's getting ready to talk to his people, he tells Moses a few very explicit things. And we find this in Exodus chapter 19, if you want to turn there. I hope you brought your Bibles today because we're going to be in our Bibles a lot today. I mean a lot. It's going to be like a Bible study. Amen. And Dustin, I think, has a new Bible, don't you? You have to look at that afterwards. Exodus chapter 19 and verse 1. Exodus chapter 19, verse 1. This is taking place as the Israelites had just exited Egypt. They're just about ready to get the Ten Commandments. Because what happens in Exodus 20? We find the Ten Commandments that God speaks, right? Exodus chapter 19 and verse 1. Notice what it says there. Is everyone there? Say amen. amen. Not say have mercy. Okay, we're all there. Exodus 19 and verse 1. In the third month, when the children of Israel were gone forth out of the land of Egypt... The same day came they into the wilderness of Sinai, for they were parted from Rephidim and were come to the desert of Sinai and had pitched in the wilderness. And there Israel camped before the mount. What happens on top of Mount Sinai? The Ten Commandments are given, right? That's where God is dwelling at that time. So these, as and scholars estimate, there were about a million different people, a million Jews, that mixed multitude, that were camping around this mountain of Sinai. That's a lot of people, isn't it? And they're all there. And then we take a look at verse 3. And Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shall you say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. What God's telling him here, can you imagine, just put yourself in the place of an Israelite for a minute. You're there, and you had just exited Egypt, and you're there right before the Red Sea, Right? And you're right there, and the, and the Egyptian army is coming after you. You're blocked in by mountains on all sides, and you see the sea right in front of you. And what happens? What does God do? He parts it, doesn't he? And as he parts the waters of the sea and makes a pathway for them, would that have been faith-building for you? What do you think? Can you imagine going to Lake Michigan and God saying, watch this. And there's a path made, and you can walk right through it with walls of water on each side. And by the way, the ground is completely dry. Can you imagine? That would be powerful. That's faith building, right? The children of Israel had just seen all of this take place. So God's telling Moses, remind them what I just did. I took them out of slavery. I took them through the the, the sea, and I I want to do good for them. 
But then he continues on, verse 6. And you shall be unto me, I want you to notice this, and you shall be unto me a kingdom of what? Priests. And what kind of nation? Excuse me. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. Now jump to verse 5 because I skipped it. Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my what? There's that covenant. Then you shall be a what kind of treasure? Peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. God wanted a peculiar people. He wanted a nation of priests. Then in verse 7, And Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before their faces all these words which the Lord commanded him. And all the people answered together and spake. Now get this. And they said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses returned to the words of the Lord unto the people of Israel. So notice this for just a minute. God is here and he wants to reclaim his people, doesn't he? And he tells Moses, remember what I have done for them. Remember all of these different things. I am ready to talk to my people. And Moses goes back to his people. And what do his people return and say to God? All that you say will do what? We'll do it. Now, this could be taken one of two ways. Either they had a lot of faith in God that whatever he said they would do. Or they were just making a promise that they weren't going to keep. All that you say, we will do. And God begins to speak to his people. Exodus chapter 20 was not written at this point. It was going to be written down on snows a minute later. But in Exodus chapter 20, as the Ten Commandments are written down, which we've gone through the past nine weeks, God spoke them from the mountain. What does God's voice sound like? Think about that for a minute. What does God's voice sound like? One of the most exciting things that I'm so excited about when Jesus comes again is be able to hear the voice of the Lord. He's going to come with, as 1 Thessalonians says, with the trump of God, with the voice of an archangel, right? What's that going to sound like? You know, Revelation says he has the voice as the sound of many waters. We've talked about this before. I believe that God's voice is going to be loud. It's going to be commanding, but it's going to be smooth. and It's going to be comforting at the same time. I can't wait to hear this. But as God speaks out of the Mount of Israel, Mount of Sinai, something happens that I didn't see coming. But I shouldn't be surprised. Whenever an angel comes, whenever God speaks to people in the Bible, to mere man, what does mankind tend to do when God or an angel speaks to them? They get scared, right? Fall on their face. Some of them just take off. Some of them go, why are you here to kill me? Whenever God, most of the time, I think there's a few exceptions, but whenever God approaches his people, they're always scared of God. Why is that? We'll be talking about that a little bit today. But if you ever ask yourselves the question, I wish that God would appear like he did in the Old Testament to us today. Wouldn't that be great? Just be able to hear the voice of God. My friends, as we're going to see in just a minute, I don't think that we could handle it. As God is about ready to speak to his children, something amazing happens. They all gather around Mount Sinai. They're all camped out, and they all approach the mount. And on top of Mount Sinai, we're going to read in just a minute, there's a cloud gathering, and the presence of God is living there because we can't see God's presence. And as this takes place, God begins to speak. Now look what happens here in verse 18. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 18. God doesn't get the best response. Exodus 20, verse 18. And all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet and the mountains smoking. And when the people saw it, they removed and stood afar off. 
And they said unto Moses, Speak you with us, and we will hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, for God has come to prove you, that his fear may be before your faces, that you sin not. And the people stood afar off. And Moses drew near into the thick darkness where God was. God, for the first time in a long time, was so excited to speak to his people. He was so excited to talk with his children of Israel. He was giving them the rules that would give them happiness to keep them freed from bondage. And as the children of Israel look at the awesomeness of God, they're scared. Do you think that broke God's heart? As God's presence was there, the children of Israel kind of step back. They run away and they go, Moses, that's God. I understand that. But why don't you go take care of him for us? Come back to us. Be a mediator. And Moses says, don't be afraid, guys. God is here to prove himself to you. He's here to love you. And they said, no, why don't you go take care of him? All that he says we'll do, but I don't want to talk to him right now. Something's wrong with this picture, isn't there? My friends, when Jesus comes again, the same thing is going to happen. The presence of God is going to be erupting, and it's going to be just like this, but even more powerful. God was there in his presence on top of Mount Sinai, and there was thunderings, and there was lightnings, and the voice of God was speaking, and there was trumpets. But when Jesus comes that second time, he's going to come with ten thousands times ten thousands of angels. Amen? And we had better be ready for that. So why were the people of Israel so scared to talk to God? And by the way, remember they had said, all that you said we will do? All that you say, all the commandments that you say, God, we promise that we'll do it, but we don't want to talk to you right now. Something's wrong with that picture. My friends, as they rejected God, and they said, Moses, why don't you take care of that? All that you say we will do. And I counted 32 days later after the Israelites said, we'll do everything you say. They were worshiping a golden calf. 32 days later. And God had spelled it out specifically to them in the Ten Commandments. You shall not worship other gods, right? Don't bow down yourself to grave an image. And they said, all you say we'll do, God, but we don't want to talk to you. And then 32 days later, they're worshiping a golden calf in the presence of God himself. Just think about that. All they have to do is look up and on Mount Sinai, who do they see? The presence of God. And they're worshiping a calf right in his presence. Imagine that. Could we be doing the same thing today? 32 days later, they're worshiping a golden calf. What was their problem? Let's look at what God says. Exodus chapter 32 and verse 7. As soon as Moses figures out what the children of Israel are doing, he says, there's a noise. There must be war. And God says, it's not war. I wish it was. But Exodus chapter 33, verse 7, And the Lord said unto Moses, Go, get you down for your people, not my people, but whose people? Your people, which have brought you out of the land of Egypt, which you brought out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly. 32 days pretty quick. Yeah, that's quick, isn't it? You have turned aside quickly out of the way which I have commanded them. They have made them a molten calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed thereunto and said, These be your gods, O Israel, which you have brought up out of the land of Egypt. What was wrong with Israel? Why were they scared of God? God wanted to be there to commune with them. He wanted to talk with them. He made them a sanctuary that he could dwell among them, right? He wanted to be as close to the children of Israel that he could get. But the closer that God gets, what happened? The children of Israel backed further away. 
My friends, I believe today if God appeared in this same likeness, the reason that he doesn't appear to us today like this is because we can't handle it. It would do more harm than good. If God appeared in all of these mighty thunderings, we would be scared. We would back ourselves away from him even further than we are already. So he has to go through other means, other resources that aren't as powerful. But what was wrong with the children of Israel? God gives us that answer in Deuteronomy chapter 5. I told you there's lots of verses today. I'm not going to apologize because it's church. Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 29. Deuteronomy 5 and verse 29. Why were the children of Israel so petrified with God? Deuteronomy 5.29 gives us that answer. Deuteronomy 5.29 says this. This is God talking. Oh, that there were such a heart in them that they would fear me and keep all my commandments always that it might be well with them and with their children forever. Why were the children of Israel scared of God? Because their heart wasn't God's. Where had they left their hearts? Back in Egypt. All of their affections, all of the things they loved was back in slavery. They liked it there. They were comfortable there. And when they came in the presence of God, they may have said all that you said we will do, but then when they approached God's presence, it was very obvious where they had left their heart. My friends, when Jesus comes again that second time and God has his presence again, there's going to be trumpets again, there's going to be thunderings again, there's going to be lightnings, there's going to be God's voice, and all these things take place with the ten thousands of his angels. I want my heart to be with God. Amen? So when Jesus comes that second time, I'll look up in his face for the first time ever and be excited. But there's going to be people on this earth where their hearts are not in heaven. But where are they? They're here on earth. And as they look in the face of God, they will not be able to look at it. And what will they call for the mountains and rocks to do? Revelation tells us they will call for the rocks to fall down on them and hide them from the face of God. And my friends, that must break God's heart. God's plea for his children has been the same all the way back from Adam all the way till now. And it has been the same over and over and over again. The plea is this. And you'll read it in scripture. If you look in your concordance, you look at this phrase. It's repeated over and over again. God says, I will be your God and you will be my what? You will be my people. That's all God wants. He wants you to claim him and he wants to claim you. God always claims you, but we don't claim God, right? All that God wants is for us to be his children and for him to be our God. And over and over again, he says, please be my children. I'll be your God. We reject him every single time. He looks at the children of Israel and says, please, I want you to be my people. Let me be your God. I want what's best for you. And they reject him over and over and over again. My friends, the children of Israel had a heart issue. Do do we? The children of Israel weren't willing to worship God, but they were worshiping a calf. What's your golden calf? What's the addiction in your life that's separating you from God? Where is your heart? Where are your affections? Because today we need to make sure where our affections are because when Jesus comes again, I want to be excited about the presence of God. I don't want to be scared. I don't want to be scared. Many Christians today will tell you that this new covenant is so much different than the old one. There's not much difference at all. The plea is the same. The commandments are the same, but the sacrifice is different. Look with me, if you would, to Jeremiah. You know, a lot of people say that the New Covenant is found in the New Testament. The New Covenant is best described in the Old Testament book of Jeremiah. Did you know that? Jeremiah, chapter 31, right after the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is a big book, so it's pretty easy to find. Jeremiah, chapter 31, and verse 31. 
Jeremiah 31, 31 talks about this new covenant in the Old Testament. I love it. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a what kind of covenant? New covenant. Here it is. A new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. By the way, who's God's chosen people? Who's Israel today? We're spiritual Israel. Amen. You are God's children. It's been released to the Gentiles. This is talking to you. It's talking to me. God's going to make you a new promise. Does God keep his promises? All right. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers and that I took them out of the, to bring them out of the land of Egypt. We talked about that. Which my covenant they what? They broke. Although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law where? In their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God. And there it is. And will be their God and they will be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor, every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. God's covenant, God's promise with you is that he's going to forgive you of all your sins. Amen? And that he will be your God, and that you can be his people. But I love what it says here in verse 33, that God will write the commandments where? In your hearts. My friends, in the Old Covenant, God wrote down commandments on tables of stone. In the New Covenant, God's still writing commandments, but He's writing them on you. Do you want God's commandments written in your hearts and minds? I know that I do. God is the same, and He continues to write the commandments down, and He's writing them in your hearts. He wants to be your God. I love what it said here in verse 34. Can you imagine a day when you don't have to witness anymore? Why? Because everybody will believe in God. You'll be able to affirm your faith with people and go, isn't God amazing? But you won't have to be like, have you ever heard of God? No, I'm an atheist. That'll never happen again. Because everybody on earth will believe in God at some point. Are you excited for that day? Oh, I want that day to happen. I want there to be so many people as possible. So, God is still writing down laws in our hearts. Let's take a look here at 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. We're going to hit a lot of verses now. And I'm sorry if I'm preaching a little bit more strongly, but it's, it's been a week. I didn't get to preach last week. So, First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. This should sound very familiar. It sounds like a direct quote from what we just read. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. This is talking about you. This is talking about us as a church. But you are a chosen generation. A royal what? Did God want the Israelites to be priests? And He wants you to be priests. A holy nation. Did God want the Israelites to be a holy nation? Yes, He wants you to be a holy nation. A peculiar people. Same thing. That you should show the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, which in times past were not a people, but are now a people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. God never changes, does He? God is still writing commandments down, but they're writing them on their hearts. And today, my friends, God wanted a holy nation. He wanted a peculiar people, a chosen generation. He wanted that back in Exodus. And does he want that today? Better believe he does. God never changes. We don't have to turn here. But in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, it says, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The covenant did not change. What God wanted did not change. But my friends, he gave us something very important. In the old covenant, what had to die for forgiveness of your sins? 
an animal, right? A lamb, a goat, something of that nature. But my friends, in the new covenant, that sacrifice of the lamb that couldn't save anybody was confirmed in Jesus Christ. Turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 1 and verse 29. John chapter 1 and verse 29. The last gospel. John chapter 1 and verse 29. Here we find John the Baptist. And John gets it right. John chapter 1 and verse 29. The next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. My friends, the Old Testament required a law. The New Covenant has a law. The Old Covenant required a sacrifice. My friends, the New Covenant sacrifice is so much better. It's not an animal whose blood cannot forgive sins, but it was Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that shed His blood for the remissions of sins for all. That's what the New Covenant is all about. God's wishes for His people was a holy generation, a peculiar people that would claim Him as their God. And my friends, that's what He wanted in Exodus. That's what He wants for His church today. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God does not change. Friends, who's needs, who needs to change? God's law or His people? If we don't agree with His law, it's not the law that needs to change, but it's us that does. The Ten Commandments are simply a plea for God, from God to keep us from bondage and destruction. I'm going to read a couple statements here that kind of recaps what we've been learning the past few weeks. I was talking with my wife the other day, which apparently is a good thing because communication is supposed to be great in marriage. Did you know that? And I took some time and we, I spent some time with my wife there. And, you know, there's a time and a place, if you're not doing this, something that I would suggest because my dad told me this, but there's a time and a place where you need to take your computer and close it. You take your phone, turn it off, and throw it out the window. If you have a TV, smash it, put it somewhere else. And you spend time one-on-one with your loved one, your spouse, your girlfriend, without any distraction. Nothing. We put all of our technology away, which was fantastic. And we, we, put our, we, we, put our, we built a fire, which doesn't take much because it's a gas stove, so you just, and it's there flip of a switch, which is nice. Turned on the fireplace. We were sitting there around the fire and we were just talking. And as we were talking, my wife said something very profound and very simple that I think a lot of us can relate to. And she asked me a question. She said, why can't people just be nice? She's not talking about you guys, by the way. Why can't people just be nice to each other? You ever ask yourself that question? Why is it so hard for people just to be nice? My friends, the reason that people aren't nice in today's generation, in today's world, people have no love for each other because they have no love for God. If we can't love a God who died for us, who sacrificed his all for us, who loves us no matter what we've done, if we can't love a God like that, how are we supposed to love human, sinful human beings? You cannot truly love your fellow man without loving the Lord. And this might sound a little off, but it's biblically correct. If you don't truly love your fellow man, you don't love God. Even if they drive you up a wall, even the ones that you might even hate, if you don't love your fellow man, you don't truly love God. 
And if you love your fellow man and you love your neighbor, you love your family, and you truly love them and you truly love God, you're not going to be able to help to tell them about Jesus. The way that children treat their parents often shows us how we'll treat our heavenly parents. This one got me as I wrote it. The way that we prepare for the Sabbath is the way we're preparing for heaven. If we're rushing, if we're making sure and we're stressed and we're in the store and we're looking at our watch, 10, 9, 8, be sure and check out, 7, 6. The way that we prepare for the Sabbath, my friends, is how we're preparing for heaven. If we steal and if we aren't honest with God, how are we going to be honest with other people? If we steal from God in tithes and offerings, how are we going to be honest with each other in our taxes? If we have no problem in killing our Savior, what's to say we won't do that to our fellow man? My friends, the commandments get to the heart of the issue, doesn't it? The Ten Commandments, the New Covenant, they're one and the same, but with a Savior added to it that died and rose again. God's wishes for us has never changed, as we saw earlier. But my friends, the fulfillment of the law, let's look at this in 1 John 5. Not the Gospel of John, but go back to Revelation and to your left a little bit and you'll find 1 John. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 2. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 2. Love is the badge of Christianity. Did you know that? A person that is loving to other people is a converted person. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous. My friends, the Ten Commandments can be the biggest blessing in the world if you love God. But my friends, if your hearts are back in Egypt, if your hearts are not with God and you're trying to keep them, they're going to be the biggest ball and chain in the world. But if you love God and you keep His commandments, that's a recipe and an equation for freedom. And we want to be free. Jesus was sitting amongst the people. And as He was sitting amongst the people, He had just finished shutting up the Sadducees. And now the Pharisees were going to try and take a crack at it. And the Pharisees, there was one among the Pharisees we're going to go to the story if you want to turn there. Matthew chapter 22, verse 33. First book of the New Testament. Matthew 22. We can just read it here. I love to hear those pages turning. Reminds me of the Bereans. Matthew 22:33, And it talks about this young Pharisee who was a lawyer. That should be your first red flag. <laughs> and he was a lawyer. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 33, notice what it says. And when the multitude heard this, they were astonished at his doctrine. But when the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, I love that, they were gathered together. Then one of them, 
which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment of the law? First of all, there's something wrong with that question, isn't there? That was, a, that was a question known to be a hot topic back in the day. It was a hot topic that people would argue about. Which is the greatest commandment? My friends, they're all important, every single one of them. Them combined is the character of God. If you take one away, you're missing something from the character of God. And Jesus knew this. But what the Pharisees love to do is they love to waste time in arguing about petty different things. And I think we can take a lesson from that today. You know, Seventh-day Adventists and Christians in this world today, we love to argue about things that simply don't matter, don't we? I know a lot of theologians who argue about what color Jesus' sandals were, all right? When we talk about these different doctrines and we distract ourselves with these things like the Holy Spirit or the anti-Trinitarian thing or all that, my friends, we shouldn't be focused on that. We should be focused on winning souls to Jesus, amen? This women's ordination thing that's come up, I believe that most of it and a lot of it is a distraction of the devil himself. It's distracting us from the message, distracting us from winning people to Jesus. And all of those people, they get so upset and they argue with each other back and forth and there's hatred in their hearts about this. I have one question, and maybe I shouldn't say this, but I'm going to anyway. And this is the question I want to ask you. And I want you to think about you, not about anyone else in this room. But when was the last time that you, not your pastor, not your church as a whole, when was the last time that you won someone to Jesus? Not your pastor, not your church. Now, anybody else, when was the last time that you won someone to Christ? Parents, you're leading your children to Christ. But when was the last time that we won someone to Jesus? That's what this Pharisee should have been worried about. Not trying to trap the Son of God. Anyway, that was a huge tangent. 37. Jesus said unto him, Answering, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. My friends, love is the fulfillment of the law. doesn't mean that law is done away with. But God doesn't want us to just keep his commandments. He wants us to fulfill them. Amen. He wants us for them to be displayed in our hearts and in our minds. And today what that Pharisee did, trying to divide, trying to talk about which is the greatest, the commandments or love, all these different things, that's the same argument that people have today. You know, a lot of people say that there's conservatives and there's liberals in the church, right? There's fundamentalists and then there's those other people, right? And the fundamentalists are over here saying, or the conservatives, they tend to say, you know, we need to keep the commandments of God. Those are the most important. And then Jesus can come in and maybe help us if we fail, right? Then we have another end of the spectrum all the way over here. They go, all you need to do is love Jesus, man. Just love Jesus. If you sin, don't worry about it. Don't, don't pay attention to those commandments. You just love Christ and all will be good. My friends, that divides the church. The same God that gave us the commandments is the same God that gave us Jesus. My friends, if you truly are keeping the commandments of God, it's going to point you to Christ. If you're truly loving Jesus, who's it going to point you to? It's going to point you to the commandments. If you're truly keeping the commandments, you're going to find Jesus. If you're truly loving Jesus, it's going to point you to the commandments. We find our answer in Jesus Christ. Amen? There should be no conservative or fundamentalist. There should be no liberal, but there should be Bible-believing Seventh-day Adventist Christians. And that is all. And we need to be focused on winning other people to Jesus Christ. And that is exactly what Jesus teaches. 
The same loving God that gave us the Ten Commandments gave us Jesus. Let's go to Romans chapter 13. This is our last passage. Romans chapter 13. And if we love Jesus, my friends, we're not going to be judgmental people. Romans chapter 13, verse 8. Owe no man anything. That's a great rule of thumb to live by. Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this shall not commit adultery. He goes through all of them. You shall not kill. You shall not steal. No be a false witness. You shall not covet. If there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love worketh no ill towards his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment. It's the fruit of the law. You know, you ever read Paul before and you read a verse, you're like, what is the man saying? <laughs> and you read it again and again and you think you got it and then you read it again you're like, that's not it at all. I'm so confused, right? Paul can be really confusing. But then in verse 11, it's like, Paul goes from this old language that he uses and he jumps into the 21st century. He uses language that we use today. It's really, really cool. No other place in the Bible do I find this, but it says this, and that now knowing the time, and now it is high time. When's the last time in the Bible you heard it said, it's high time, brother? That's what Paul's saying. Guys, it's high time. The time is now. It's high time to awake out of sleep, and for now is our salvation nearer than we believed. Amen? Amen. When is the time of salvation, my friends? It's now. I am so looking forward to that day when our salvation can be sealed. Whether Jesus comes again, whether we close our eyes and are asleep in death, and we are sealed from all the devil's temptations again, when Jesus comes again in all of his glory, in all of his might, and he wants to give us the blessings of this new covenant that he's promised us, I don't want to be scared of the presence of Jesus because my heart is on earth, but I want to love Jesus because my heart is in heaven. Amen? Where is your heart today? Because that is the base of the new covenant, is love. Revelation 14, 12, don't need to turn there because you all know it. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those that keep the commandments and the faith, love of Jesus. That is the basis of his law. I want to take you back to a few hundred years ago in a place that I would love to visit sometime. In the highland hills of Scotland. Wouldn't you love to go to Scotland? You ever seen pictures of those rolling hills and just so green and the cl- oh man a couple hundred years ago in the hills of Scotland and there was a shepherd there he had a massive herd of sheep and that's what he did for a living he'd herd these sheep over the hills of Scotland and he has happily married well one day um, they found out that they were pregnant you know, they were so excited but as the wife was going through childbirth this was before modern medicine She delivered to him a beautiful baby girl, but she died in the process. And he was heartbroken. But he was so excited that he had a little girl. Now, as he went out into the fields, as he went out into the hills of Scotland, he had no one to watch his child. So guess where the child went? Everywhere that the dad did. And as he would herd these sheep, she'd be right there, tucked into his chest or on his back. She grew up in the hills of Scotland. 
She got to see the dew on the grass. She got to see the sheep. She knew them by name. All these things. And as the little girl started to crawl, as she started to talk, as she started to walk, she just loved what her dad did. She loved being outside. She was a daddy's girl for sure. Now, in Scotland, there is, and, and this is shepherds in general, but did you know all shepherds have a certain call, right? We all know this. When shepherds have their certain unique call that no other shepherd does and they call it, who comes running? They're sheep, right? But there was something different about this shepherd. When he gave his, his special unique call, not only did his sheep come, but guess who else came? His daughter did too. And as he would give that call, his sheep would come rushing in and his daughter would come up to her and to him and she would jump in his arms. And it was just a serene time. He loved his daughter and she loved her dad. Well, as she got a little bit older, she got into the teenage years. And during these teenage years, people can tend to get rebellious, right? My friends, it's not just the millennials that are rebellious today. I was reading some Greek history the other day. And as I was back in Greek history, there was a reformer of that time. There was a Greek historian that said, this generation is going to end the world. It's been going on for generations, guys. <laughs> Every generation is going to get worse, worse without Jesus, though. And as this young woman, this young girl at the age of 16, 15, around that age, she started to notice that her dad had a lot of rules that she didn't like. It started to really aggravate her. She didn't let him know, though. He was clueless. And one day, she was so fed up, she was so angry and rebellious towards her dad, she went to his cabin there in the, in the hills of Scotland while he was out herding the sheep. She took some money from his, wherever he kept it, and she took off. Days passed. He got worried. His daughter's not home. Looked for her everywhere. Shepherd's call, nothing. Days turned into weeks. Weeks turned into months. No daughter. Months turned into years. Those years turned into a decade. Nothing. He didn't even know what happened to her. Maybe she had died. Maybe she ran away. Maybe she was... Who, who knows? Your mind races. But he never forgot. One day there was a young boy from that village where the shepherd was and he went away to a town quite a ways off, hundreds of miles away. And as he went, he went to this village, and guess who he saw? The little girl. Now it had been a decade, now she's quite the young lady. She's quite a woman now, but she, he recognized her. And she goes, he goes up to this lady and goes, Hey, you're so-and-so's daughter. Where have you been? We thought, blah, blah, blah. She did something that we today called snubbing. She pretended, that, she pretended that she didn't know who this boy was. Well, she did. She ignored him and walked away. Well, this boy went back to his hometown, but guess who he was so excited to go and tell? The shepherd. He went and he rushed to the shepherd and said, you'll never guess who I saw. Now, the shadow went out. I'm positive that I saw your daughter here. Now, I'm not sure how the shepherd did it or what expense he took, but he somehow found somebody to take care of his sheep for him. And he took whatever money that he needed. Maybe he borrowed some. I don't know. The story doesn't say. But guess where he went? He went to that village, that, that bigger town. This was a few hundred years ago. He went to the bigger town to see his daughter that he hadn't seen in decades. But first, he had to find her. So through the streets of the town, he was asking people. And they started to make fun of him. He was wearing big boots that were worn. 
He was wearing a big overcoat that was completely out of style. And as he wandered through the streets of this bigger town looking for his daughter, people thought that he was crazy. They laughed at the way that he was dressed. They laughed at the way that he talked. He'd be, everybody in town knew who he was. With, in not very long, it didn't take very long for this young woman and his daughter to find out that her dad was in town. And one day she was there in her room and she looked out the window, living in an apartment there. She looked out and she looked out of the window and guess who she saw on the street corner? Her dad. There in those same boots that he had worn a decade ago. The same coat. And she looked at her dad and her heart hardened. And she didn't go and see him. Days passed. The father still was looking for his daughter. Days turned into weeks. Weeks turned into months. Still, the daughter didn't approach him. He knew that his daughter must know that he was in town. He knew that she was there. But for months, nothing. Well, his money ran out. He had no money for a hotel room or a place to rent. And so finally, he just began sleeping in the streets. Months sleeping in the streets, looking for his daughter. And one day, he was just distraught. He was depressed. He missed home. He missed his daughter. He, he was done. He sat down on a tin can or something, and he put his face between his hands. And he started to think and to cry. And he thought back over those days when he had his little girl. He thought back to when he would give that shepherd's call and all of his sheep would come running in those beautiful hills of Scotland that he loved and his little girl would come running to. He thought back about all those different things, about his daughter, her innocence, all these things. Then he remembered something. The shepherd call. He got a little excited. And so he started going through the streets with new energy, except this time he wasn't asking people where his daughter was, but he was giving the shepherd's call. And people made fun of him even more, because not only is the old man wandering the streets now looking for someone that doesn't exist, but now he's doing some weird noise. He didn't care. Not care in the world. He continued to call. The shepherd's call for this woman, nothing, nothing, nothing. And finally, there was the daughter. She was up in a in another room there and she had friends over and they were laughing, they were having a good time, they are having a party and guess what she heard out of the, just, just barely, she heard that shepherd's call. And immediately it was a flashback. And she got up from the party and she walked down the stairs. She didn't run because she didn't want to appear excited. She didn't want to embarrass herself. And she walked and she found her father there and finally, he saw her. She had changed. She was a beautiful young woman now. And as he saw his daughter, he just dropped to his knees in exhaustion. And she slowly walked to her dad and, and patted him on the shoulder. And as she looked down into his face, she realized how aged her father really was. Not only had he been aged over that 10 years, but those months of sleeping in the streets really took its toll too. The father had some questions. As he looked with tear-filled eyes at his, at his daughter, she asked the, he asked the question, Why? Why did you leave? 
Why didn't you say anything? What did I ever do? Tell me what I did. Why did you leave me? What did I do to all these different questions? She didn't answer any of them, but she helped him up and said, we need to go home. Well, they went home back to this little cabin in Scotland. And as they were there, they began to get to know each other again, and those questions were answered. And when those questions were asked, that little girl, who was now a young woman, realized how petty her rebellion really was. How much her father actually really loved her. Within a few days of being there in that village in Scotland, the father dropped very ill. They got to know each other over a few months, but within a few months of them being reunited, the father wasn't around much longer because he didn't have much longer to live. And he died. But he was happy. You know why he was happy? His daughter was back. They were reconciled and they were home. My friends, today, there's a call that only Jesus can give. No pastor can give it. No priest can give it. No person can give it. Your wife, your husband can't give it. Only Jesus can give this call. And it's unique. The call is, I can forgive your sins. People can claim, oh, I can forgive your sins, but they can't. The only one that can forgive your sins is that great shepherd. It's Jesus. And he's given that call. He's constantly making that call. And people make fun of him for it, but he doesn't care. Because anybody that comes to him who is heavy laden, he will give them rest. Are you hearing that shepherd's call today? I'm going to do something a little bit different. I know that there's potluck afterwards, and I've been preaching for some time now. I want to do something a little bit different. We're going to sing our closing hymn in just a minute. But it's a great and wonderful thing. Just so you do know, my wife and I pray for you by name all the time. I have a massive spreadsheet on my computer and all your names are there. Everybody who's sitting in this room, your names are there. Even if I've just met you, your names are there. We pray for you all of the time. But I never get to really pray with you. We have sacrificial prayer at 7 a.m., that's great. We pray for each other in church when we have prayer meeting. That's fantastic, but I don't get to pray for you very often. So what we're going to do after we have closing prayer, if you would, I know we normally congregate here in a little bit, but if we could just kind of kind of move out to the fellowship hall, I'm going to stay, my wife and I both, we're going to stay here in the front pew, and we'd like to have prayer with you, just you, one-on-one. If you don't want to pray with us, that's fine. If you want to come with your spouse, that's fine too, or your fiancé, whoever it is. But I would love to pray for you. If there's anything that you need, if there's something that you're struggling with, if there's something that you want to talk about, if you simply just want to pray, I want to pray with you on an individual basis today. And it's not because I can forgive your sins. Only Jesus can do that. But I want you to know that Jesus cares for you and that your pastor cares for you too. So if you want to have a word of prayer with us afterwards, both of us will be here in the sanctuary. Please take us up on it. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.